Hello and welcome to the Be Less Dumb podcast. It's basically me chatting to a bunch of coaches who are more intelligent than I am and work in different areas than I am used to. I'm just going to ask them a bunch of questions and try to become a little less dumb in the process. Hope you enjoy. Okay, welcome to this podcast. In this episode, we are going to talk to Cormac Walsh. I've known Cormac for probably since maybe 2013 now. We did our undergrad together in strength conditioning, and we also did our master's together in coaching science from UCD. In that time as well, Cormac managed to attain his CSCS and gain vast experience in multiple sports. Um, there's probably almost too many sports to talk about, you know, American football, baseball, basketball, rowing, long distance running. And we're probably going to touch a little bit more on the endurance side of things today. He, uh, he had some great, um, he worked in some great performance setups, such as the Santa Fitness and also did an internship over in the States in Greater Atlanta High School. Um, so do you want to expand on yourself there a little bit, Cormac? Hi, Danny. Um, yeah, so as you, you've said a few of them already, but um, getting into strength and conditioning, the, the starting point was Satanta Fitness, but probably prior to that, I had an interest in it my, my whole life, you know. Uh, from a young age, I, I always was very interested in um, strength conditioning and what could be done to improve performance. Unfortunately, I probably done all the wrong things before I got on to some of the right things. So hopefully we'll be able to talk about a few of them today. But um, yeah, so as you, as you mentioned, um, I did an internship in Satanta Fitness. That was probably some of my first real work. Uh, there, I was under the mentorship of uh, Tom Gribben, who's a, a good, very good strength and conditioning coach from Armagh, and uh, learned a good bit from him. Uh, we were working with the Armagh Harps, who went on to win um, the Armagh Championship, uh, Senior Championship. The, that sorry, the year after that, it was um, we were they were working together for three years at that stage. So that was a great experience. And then on from there, um, working with a couple of individuals in sports like rowing and. Um, as you said, long distance running and then a little bit more in Gaelic football. But then probably my big ex- experience then was in the high school, working with a variety of different sports there under Gary Schofield. And Gary Schofield would be well known enough um, for, for strength and conditioning. With his, um, he got some accolades from, let's say, NSCA, and he's done a lot of good work uh, in the past. So that was working pretty much nearly in a professional high school level setup where you could have uh, kids training maybe up to 10 times a week. So they'd be getting a lot of training sessions in, uh, a variety of different um, things, different components, whether that be um, the skills work that they were doing with our coaches or some of the speed, strength, power work that they were doing with us. Um, that, that was a fantastic experience and really opened my eyes to some of the kind of more professional side of sport uh, to a degree. Uh, following on from that, um, I've been working with Ross Riley, um, who luckily enough has, um, or thankfully enough, I don't know how you'd say it, has qualified for Duathlon World Championships in Almere in the Netherlands. Hopefully they, they go ahead because, <laughs> as you know, a lot of work goes into them sort of things. And then hopefully it doesn't get cancelled because of um, this uh, COVID. But uh, yeah, there's been four years of work that has gone into that. And uh, we'll be talking about some of that today. But at the moment, what I'm doing myself in my day job is in exercise medicine at the moment. That is another kind of passion I have on the side, um, working with people with kind of lung conditions such as COPD and then cardiovascular issues, heart attacks and strokes. So that's kind of the day job, doing some exercise sessions with them. 
And other than that, some of the more recent stuff was working with uh, Cluster Basketball. That was another great experience seeing as, you know, you've it's a kind of a power sport, but you also need that endurance component as well. And then also, luckily enough, to got to work with uh, St. Vincent's Camogie um, uh, in the past year, and they went on to win the, the Leinster Senior Camogie Championship. So that was fantastic to work with some of them athletes as well. So that's brought me up until today, and hopefully we'll have a few good things to talk about today. Yeah, um, so perfect. Thank you for introducing yourself, mate. And yeah, you've got a huge amount of experience in multiple sports. And I guess that, that would, like you may have touched on the one topic we're going to talk about today and kind of expand on a little bit, is obviously endurance training and maybe some of the work that you did with Ross. So obviously, I know you've been working for quite a while now. So get, let me let me kind of start by asking you, kind of let's, let's start by touching on, the, I suppose, the most important factors that you see when it comes to endurance training or for endurance, say. Okay, so the... <clears throat> The big one for in endurance training, as I'm sure we, we know a lot of sports, is uh, genetic predisposition. You know, you can uh, you can have good parents that can make a big difference to your ability, but I suppose that we, we can't really do much about that one, so we, we'll leave that one alone. Um, after that, some of the, the key factors would be uh, VO2 max, um, which is your, your basic endurance capability. Um, and that is relative to your to your body weight. So um, we'll talk about how that can be influenced as well. How it's measured with regards to your body weight. Sorry. Um, then we have your your lactate threshold as well. So where that sits and what speed it is it is at. So you could say velocity of VO two max as well is another important component. Then your uh, running economy. So your running economy would be defined as the amount of energy you expend to go a certain speed so if let's say the two of us were running and one of us was using 20 calories every 10 minutes another was using 200 calories every 10 minutes the one who uses less calories for energy is going to be the more economical runner uh, that's more important in in different distances as i'm sure you can imagine um then you'd have things like fuel usage so if someone is kind of more fat adapted for um, a lot of endurance athletes can become like that, you know, where they can use actual fat as a, as an energy source at um, slower speeds more than someone who is less trained at that. Um, then you have some psychological factors. These vary from person to person. I'm lucky enough to work with an athlete whose psychology is, is nearly too strong for his own good he, his, his adherence would be would be very good and um, his ability to um, suffer through pain barriers and things like that um, would be one of his strong points but different people um, would 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 value that one in different uh, areas so you, if you have someone who's a very high vo2 max they might be able to get away with not having the best psychology but you know it, it's still a very important uh, factor um, then you'd go into fueling would be another important one. So um, with the rise of, let's say, you know, let's say low carb diets and different types of diets, uh, ketogenic, I know you're familiar with, um, might not be the most appropriate for, say, endurance sports. So you, you've actually seen some instances in the last few years who some top athletes have went and they've tried, let's say, either ketogenic or veganism or something like that. And it's, it's hurt their performance quite a lot. Um, so we will talk a little bit about that later on as well. Um, but yeah, 
like lucky enough for myself uh, I came into well lucky or unlucky I don't know how you look at it but uh, I came in with a, a blank slate into endurance it was something that I wasn't really that hugely interested in probably because I was very bad at it myself um, so but then coming starting to work with Ross I really had to had to learn fast and really dig into it so the places that I got kind of my knowledge from would have been from people like Dr. Stephen Sealer Joel Jameson, Jack Daniels, Steve Magnus, Dr. Phil Maffetone, and then uh, Kerwin and Flat was probably more for the team sport endurance, but still learned a bit there as well. Um, so, yeah, there's the, the probably the, your most important factors and probably where I got them from was the people I named. <laughs> yeah, um, I think, yeah, I guess, for, especially when we were in the same year in college and we got a little bit unlucky in the fact that we were meant to have a whole term of speed and endurance and they kind of changed up the system of our college when we went into our third year and put us out on placement and gave us a, a three-day <laughs> crash course of endurance. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, uh, I think all of us were like behind the eight ball straight away when it came to that leaving college. So yeah, I mean, we all start with a blank slate and it's it's important that, um, I suppose that, that kind of makes you a better coach in some ways in the aspect that you, you know, you didn't rely on what you knew, you had to go out and find out more. Um so I guess now that we've kind of, and you've identified a ton of factors, so thank you for that. Um, let's go into some detail how they can be influenced and how you influence mm -hmm. them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the way in which we would uh, influence them factors that we talked about. So if we're talking about, let's say, uh, VO2 max, for example, we know that VO2 max is uh, very much related to body weight. So obviously every, every kilogram you carry uh, every kilogram extra you weigh is a kilogram you have to carry. That's more relevant to certain sports than others. Let's say for uh, maybe a field sport, let's say rugby, them kilograms can be very useful um, for flattening people and, and getting into rocks and things like that. But for a sport of, let's say, endurance or duathlon, them kilograms can become troublesome. So cutting down to um, an appropriate body weight can be very much helpful to your VO2 max. That can be one of your quickest ways to make gains. There is one thing I would say about that. There's a lot of considerations to take into place there. Um, if you are someone who is already quite lean and you go to cut down quite quickly, that can do a lot of damage to your, let's say, your training quality, things like that. So a more gradual approach is better at the leaner um, body fat percentages. I would, I would highly recommend that and do it more staged and also not to do it at a time when your your training level is quite high and the reason why i'm emphasize, emphasizing this is because we've we fell into them pitfalls ourselves and kind of overtraining states can be seen unfortunately um also for developing your vo2 max you have your your training so vo2 max is something that's not going to be developed in a short period of time you it needs a considerable amount of uh, training um, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that on the division of training in the next uh, part. We'll say then on to lactate threshold. So lactate threshold can be, can be relative to your aerobic capacity as well. So that can be, that can be developed at, uh, at lower intensities than just lactate threshold. People think you have to be running at lactate threshold to uh, improve it. But um, having a, a better aerobic base can also improve that. Um, to know where to be trained at lactate threshold as well, just a wee note, would be to get a proper test done because you, the estimations 
may not be what you think they are. So let's say 88 to 91% of uh, heart rate max might be an estimation, but it might not be the case in practicality. Um, then in economy. So to improve economy, you're, you're talking mileage. So you, a, a good lot of mileage will improve economy. So developing that over weeks and months and years. Um, but also maybe not going out for them slogging runs as well, you know, where you where you absolutely like you're going at a pace that your your form is falling apart and you're you're not looking great. <laughs> That's well, that'd be more running efficiency than anything, but um trying to keep a good form while you're running as well, it would be important to that. And that'll develop over time, um, for sure. Um then in influencing things like fueling, we'll, we'll talk about in a little while. Uh, we're talking more about nutrition. And then psychological factors, I'm not sure how much they can be, they can be built. But yeah, I would, I would say you, you do see some improvements in like the ability to withstand fatigue and stuff like that. Basically, um, from doing, let's say, some higher intensity intervals and things like that, as you're doing them, you, you might feel like you're going to die, but <laughs> then <laughs> after you're finished them, um, you you know you've overcame them. And that's where actually a lot of people see some very quick um, progress. Let's say your, your typical 5K runner, they might just go out and run as hard as they can. And then they, they think, right, okay, now I can do that more and more. And they just basically develop an ability to push themselves more and more. Um, uh, that does have its pitfalls as well, and that doesn't last forever. Um, so th- there'd be some of the the kind of overview of how they can be developed. Okay, yeah. So yeah, thank you for kind of you know identifying first of all the factors, you know, important factors for endurance training, and then you know what what how they get influenced. So I guess that leads on like, naturally that leads on to the next question of you know how do you program for your your athletes and kind of the divisions of training that you use. Okay. Um, yeah, definitely can talk about that. So depending obviously on the level athlete you're talking about, we'll we'll decide that. But um I'm gonna just put it in the sense if you're talking about an athlete um who's kind of a decent level and has a good amount of hours to commit to what they're doing. Um so the the one the model that I would use is called the polarized model, and that comes from Dr. Stephen Sealer. Um he didn't just kind of come up with it out of the sky. He actually went and done some investigative research into the, um, the, some of the top athletes, top endurance athletes in the world. And we know um, the highest VO2 max athletes in the world would be our cross-country skiers. And he'd done a lot of work with them and uh, watched the way they'd done things. And to his surprise, um, a, a trend started appearing that they were doing a lot more low-intensity stuff than what would be expected, you know, kind of that kind of a Nike ad mentality of going out and doing the most you can every day, maybe isn't for good for longevity. And they've seen that in multiple Olympic gold medal athletes, that 80% of their training was dedicated to their lower intensity stuff. And if you're looking to define that lower intensity stuff, um, if you're talking about maybe an RPE scale, it'd be about a three to four out of 10. Um, so very, very low RPE. And also, um, if you're talking about heart rate, uh, Phil Maff- Dr. Phil Maffetone would kind of put your aerobic zone, if you're doing it by uh, kind of an estimation, it'd be 180 beats minus your age. So if you're like a, 
a 22 year old athlete it'd be 158 beats but i would always err on the side of caution with that one and i go for a lower amount because you're you're going to get most of your benefits even from doing the lower intensities and the reason why i say that is a lot of people fall into the moderate trap as i would call it they go out and they do a lot of moderate intensity running that doesn't give them the benefits that they're looking for um, and we even see this in in higher level sports, even things like uh, faster sports like sprinting. Um, Charlie Francis, a uh, famous track coach, was very much into his high-low model, which um, funnily enough then seems to work quite well in endurance sport as well. Um, b- the basic premise of that is that your low-intensity days don't take away from your high-intensity days. So if if an athlete went out and instead of doing their three to four RPE out of 10 and they did, let's say, a six to eight RPE out of 10, um, if they come back the next day and they're trying to do their more harder session, that's going to be a nine point, maybe a 9.5 out of 10 RPE, um, they might not be able to get to them speeds that we're looking for that will really improve their performance. So that would be a, a kind of a little bit on, on that side of it. But so the division of the training will be 80%, your kind of aerobic base, 180 minus your age, that sort of level. And then 20% of the training will be divided between your higher level work, which would be your lactate threshold work and above your lactate threshold work. Um, and what that might look like would be some extensive uh, high intensity interval training um interval um, sessions so typically you know you see a lot of like 30 on 30 off type intervals but this would be more kind of your four minutes on four minutes off and they are quite challenging and that's what they're supposed to be they're supposed to be kind of around 85 percent to 95 percent of uh, max heart rate um in around them zones and then for your, your lactate threshold work, if you're lucky enough to have uh, gone to get a lactate threshold test, you will know what that is. Um, but other than that, use, let's say, a heart rate monitor and it will it will give you an estimation of where that will be. Um, so what that might look like would be um, for lactate threshold session, it could be a 10 minutes, uh, 10 minute intervals of around lactate threshold um, interspersed by some lower intensity work. Um, so you might do four, three to four, 10 minute blocks, uh, interspersed with maybe 10 minutes of low intensity or five minutes low intensity, depending on what you're, you're going after. Um, and then as you're dividing that, that training time, you're, you're trying to develop it over week, over weeks and months and years. Um, what I would say to this is probably in the earlier stages, you can, be a little bit more aggressive with the amount you raise per week so if you're talking about let's say tim gabbard's research which is really it's it's referenced everywhere now at this stage but uh the the magic 10 percent per week and uh, probably probably misquoted a lot of the time but if you're using a model like that you'd want to be at a decent enough level let's say you're doing five maybe five four to six even hours a week if you're someone who's just doing an hour or two a week maybe doing an hour and a half, two hours, an hour extra is not going to be too much for someone like that. But if you're already at a, a high enough level and you're adding 20 or 30% per week, you could probably run into trouble pretty fast. Um, if you are doing, let's say, a 10% per week add-on, um, you're talking, once again, that 80-20 split. So you'd be adding 8% um, to your lower-intensity work and 2% 
I would even be wary enough at that your higher intensity stuff. The higher intensity stuff is the the stuff that will really uh, you have to manage quite well and and uh, add slowly to it because you can you can run into a bit of trouble with it as well. Um, it, at the moment, I well the last little while I've been trying to kind of design a, a better model for uh, adding up the units. Uh, I, I know you're very familiar with the from your time with basketball adding the units with RPE and time. And it probably works quite well for, for sports like that, where you, you will be doing more consistent intensities and stuff like that. But if you have someone who is doing, let's say, a two-hour uh, long run, and it's an RPE of only a, a three or whatever, or maybe three, four, um, it, it will add up to a good lot of units even at that. But then they might be just doing a couple of intervals that uh, the session might only last 20 minutes, but... Um, the, it doesn't look like that on the units. It looks like they've only done like a, a hundred units compared to four hundred or five hundred units, which they've done their long run. Whilst in re- reality, that's not matching the fatigue that they're they're getting from that. So that's that's something that needs to be kind of hashed out. And um, I'm trying to find better ways of doing that. So that'd be the some of the division of training in a, in a broad sense and uh, what it would look like. Yeah, um, thank you, mate, for going to so much detail at the start. And yeah, you're right. Um, you know, sometimes you, you kind of work within the re- the reams that you have when it comes to measuring units. And I know you're, you were just saying that you're trying to develop a more sophisticated system. And, and I think that's always a good... You should always be trying to develop a more sophisticated <laughs> system, you know. Um, uh, and we might touch on monitoring at the end. But what, what I'm going to get into now is... Um, Let's talk about maybe, you know, I guess we've talked about the high-low approach and stuff like that. Let's talk about what, they, what, a, what a week would look like, uh, whether you can, you can kind of talk about, you know, a, a mesocycle, microcycle, whatever whatever really you want, and kind of how you build it, um, and kind of, I guess, the part of the year it falls into it makes a big difference and stuff like that. So kind of just give it maybe a, a basic kind of enough week and maybe choose a preference of whereabout in the season it might be or something like that. Okay, so... Um... If you if you're if you're building your week and let's say you're doing ten hours, we will we'll just go out with if we're following the, the basis of the eighty twenty model, right, that means straight away eight hours are gonna go to your lower intensity uh work. So the then you have kind of the freedom of your methods within that. And and what I mean by that is right, um uh, how are you going to do that um, lower intensity work? If it's duathlon, maybe you're going to preference your cycling because you know you're going to be you're spending the most time on the bike in in the race. So you might put six seven hours towards cycling. Oh, sorry, you might put uh, yeah maybe five six hours towards cycling and two hours towards running. That that change tr- throughout the year. Um, and also, what you can do is. If you're doing, let's say, a, a threshold session, so between threshold, your extensive interval training, uh, and I would even put your sprinting into the, the remaining two hours of the week because it, it can take a lot out of people as well. Let's say you're shorter distance sprinting. Um, uh, what, what you might do with that is you might intersperse some of your threshold work with some of your lower intensity work. That's a way of getting both in, and then you can, uh, you can end up with... Um, um, oh, the name of the train has actually gone out of my head for some reason, but um, yeah. Anyway, you, you can you can inter you can intersperse it. So let's say you could do maybe your ten minute threshold, and you might even intersperse it with twenty minutes of your lower intensity work. That's a way of getting both in within a session if someone's tight for time. Um, 
then uh, also within a week you have other considerations like as i was saying previously you want to be as fresh as possible for your hardest sessions so if you're doing some sessions at say a 5k pace or a 10k pace um of your intervals then you you need to be good going into them so you don't want to have say done a, a lower body gym session the day before you go to do that sort of session so how you plan that in a week is, is very important so I'll give you a few ideas that I have been using or probably stole off people in the last while. Um, so if I if I am doing, let's say, a sprint session, um, that is, I would pair lower body gym session with that. So that means you're kind of keeping a lot of that fatigue within one day and you know, right, the gym work isn't going to take away from the sprint session. Let's say if you had it the other way around, it might take away from it. And then... If I'm going to do some longer aerobic stuff, um, then I might pair that with an upper body session as well. So that doesn't really matter as much where that falls into it. You can probably do one before or after. I know that there is some con contraindications and stuff like that, and they might not work as well. But that's usually found if you do, let's say, your lower body gym session and your lower body run it probably have more of an effect there so that's probably why you have my upper body sessions done before it and if you are trying to fit in some isometric holds they are very good and they're, they're very popular at the minute but they are great to fit in before nearly any sessions because they're they can potentiate a lot of the stuff so if you wanted to put them in before your 3k or your 5k pace runs um they they can fit nicely in there um also it depends on, on if you want a rest day or uh if for example you might not have enough time to have uh, maybe two rest days within a week but something you can do is the time that you train at so instead of just having let's say 24 hours between a session let's say you're on eight o'clock in the evening both evenings that's only 24 hours but if you've done a session eight o'clock one morning and then eight o'clock the next evening you're giving yourself 36 hours and that can make a difference as as well so that that would be what it might look like within a week um as you're building it throughout the year, um, periods of alternative focus is something that I, I like a lot. Um, basically, if you're just hitting the same thing over and over again, you're, you're going to kind of, it, it'll run a little bit stale and you're not going to get the same benefit out of it as you first did. So obviously, you're, you're going to be gradually building your volume as the year goes on you'll be you can build intensity first or volume first that's kind of preferential um but what i would say is with periods alternative focus maybe in your pre-season having a, a period for let's say max speed and max strength I, I would say is quite well recommended for endurance athletes because as if you're a busy endurance athlete who's doing a lot of work on the road and on the bike it's your strength work can be very much compromised and if you're hitting the strength work with any intensity it probably could be taken away from your stuff that you're doing on the bike and on the road which is obviously where you want to be getting the most out of it so i would recommend having um a period let's say coming from the off season into your pre-season where you would have um a focus on your your strength your max power all that type of stuff um and try and build that as much as you can there and then maintain or gradually build it throughout the year so it doesn't take away from those sessions um what else would i say on that yeah that that would be some of the stuff i'd say for the year and then also with your um with your train divisions we know 
let's say your your lactate threshold work it doesn't seem to get that much long like longer term uh, if you do it week on week on week you might get some early gains with it and then it seems to taper off a little bit so i would save more of it towards your your races because then you can uh, it's more your race pace stuff as well so it's it's great for your your uh, your preparing for let's say your duathlon you could do uh, a threshold session with uh, your transition from your run to your bike and that that can be very much race specific if you want to call it um so i would save some of your threshold stuff for then but uh, yeah other than that that'd be that'd be some of the stuff i'd say on the categorization of the year and and things like that yeah mate that, that was amazing uh really good really really good stuff and i mean it was really interesting it's i i, I keep saying this and you know if you hear my podcast i'm always like I love it when people come on and tell me exactly kind of what they're doing and how they're doing mm. it. Um, some people will say, you know, uh, people have been pretty good. Some people will say, yeah, we just do this, you know, we work this energy system. I'm like, okay, so where's that for into a year? Where's this, where's that? So that's really good stuff, man. What, what, um, it's actually funny because I had uh, Dave, you know, Dave from our masters on the other day and we're talking about his ultra short race pace training um, research that he'd done um and the kind of you know they were proposing that it would have low lactate scores and ended up having high super high lactate scores yeah. and stuff like that you know so he was uh he was able to disprove everything that this guy had said and you know it kind of there's two reasons first of all you, you know we, we just brought out race pace training a little bit but also people the, the, the about misinformation that goes out there in relation to endurance training and you know even, even if you we talk about the first thing we talked about was the vo2 max and when it comes to um the body weight and then you, you're, you're talking about uh periods of alternative progress right so you're talking about um athletes should train max strength should train max speed and that's it's super important that athletes understand that there there should be different times of progress or different types of alternative progress if you if you if you think uh you know generally if you ask a general person general endurance runner and tell them that you want them to start lifting weights probably the response is going to be well i don't worry when to get any bigger you just tell me that my vo2 max is relation to my body weight but so having different types of uh of alternative progress without different types of the season is really important so i think that was important for you to touch on so thank you for doing that and probably what we'll we'll push on to now and uh we might finish up on this is um kind of how obviously nutrition plays an absolute huge role right in endurance sports so what do you you guys do you work with a team nutritionist or what way do you approach it um yeah so for the past year um, I took on to do um, a nutrition course. Um, it's an online evidence-based nutrition course called uh, Mac Nutrition University. Um, and I found it very beneficial. It was basically like a lecture per week on different topics for the full year. And that's kind of given me a lot more confidence in my own programming of nutrition and things like that. But uh, yeah, previously, uh, Ross would have been sent to people like Orla Walsh, a very good nutritionist who's based in Dublin. Um and yeah, they they were they were some of the places we were we we started off with. But I'll, I'll give you some insight in in some pitfalls that can come with nutrition before we even get into the detail of it. So with endurance athletes, um, eating disorder is more common than you than you'd think as well. Um, because they are very very ad- adherent athletes, usually um a- obsessive behaviors can develop. Um, so being aware of things like that is, is very important and they shouldn't be overlooked. Um, so also things like fat phobia can be can be another thing like that 
the thought of eating fat can can transfer into gaining fat, which um, we know isn't true. We know that that's the, determined by by calorie intake and things like that. But always never never leave any stone unturned. Never take for granted that your athlete is going to know these things or they're going to know um, like the things that you know. So always really head on them points. And what I would say on that is nutrition for your general population and your nutrition for your athletes is, is very different. So if we talk about um, nutrition for your, your general population, something that's put out there a lot and probably wrongly is salt intake. You know, it gets a bad rap and it's probably wrongly associated with um, some blood pressure issues. And I could talk about that as well. But um, for athletes, salt is, is very important. Um, it's, it's one of your key um, nutrients, sorry, one of your key uh, electrolytes lost during training. And it's something that needs to, you have to have enough of in your system. That's one of the difference between general population and uh, athlete nutrition. Then if you're talking about carbohydrate intake, um, if you had someone who is having a, a calorie surplus um, in their general population because of carbohydrates happens quite commonly, yeah, you wouldn't be encouraging them to have more carbohydrates. But for, let's say, your endurance athletes, they're going to need quite a bit more. And what those carbohydrates are made up of as well, for your general population, you'd be maybe um, asking them to have more high fiber types of carbohydrates like your, your brown rice to help with satiation and keeping them full and all that type of things but for maybe for your endurance athletes that wouldn't be ideal you'd maybe want them to have lower fiber sources such as your white rice because it's easier digestive and then more easier digested and more accessible to them for their training okay so if if i was um making a priority the first thing i would say is calories so um, I was told this um, by a rowing athlete a few years ago, and, I, and it's a it's a funny kind of a analogy. But basically, if you had someone and they needed, let's say, two thousand calories to perform, and they only take in, let's say, you have someone who takes in six hundred calories, but that six hundred calories was really nutritious vegetables, fantastic food, all the rest, but it was only six hundred calories. And then you had someone who took in maybe, a, let's say, something that wouldn't be maybe a fry or something like that, um, and it brought them up to their 2,000 calories. The one who has the calories available to them will probably be the one who may be able to perform better. It's just energy availability is extremely important. I'm not saying have a fry every morning, but make sure that you're, you're getting the calories that your body needs. And to put that in, in a practical sense, how you would figure that out is, um, this is just an equation it would be fat free mass multiplied by 45 that's your your starting point and fat free mass would be your body weight minus your um what your body fat percentage would be in weight so if you have someone who's 100 kilos and they're 10 percent body fat they're going to have 10 kilos of extra weight so you would then multiply 90 kilos by 45 that gives you your um your energy availability at baseline and then what you do on to that is you add on whatever they expend in energy. So what that would look like as well, maybe if you're using a heart rate monitor, it can give us some idea of the calories that are being burned. Let's say if they're doing an hour-long gym session, that might be 200 calories. So you'd add that in um, to their daily calorie intake. So calories is number one. Then if you're looking about macronutrient breakdown, um, something that um, 
it maybe not as big of a problem now in, in top level athletes, but previously in generally all endurance athlete was protein intake. Um, when people think of protein intake now, they think of uh, your rugby players, your your guys trying to put on a bit of mass or whatever it is. But protein is extremely important for your recovery from um, endurance sports. And like you're pounding the pavement, you're, you're breaking your body down, you need those uh, amino acids to, to rebuild. So um, the recommendation, that the scientific recommendation that would be given there would be somewhere between 1.6 grams to 2.2 grams per kilo of body weight. That'd be how we'd set out the protein. If you're above 2.2 grams, that's fine. I, I wouldn't have anything against that. That's just a general recommendation for, for satiation. People like to have that bit of extra protein. Um, also, how that protein is divided throughout the day is quite important. Um, this is something I, I've had issues with a couple of athletes before. Uh, one that springs into mind in particular, he, he would be hitting his protein target. Let's say it was a 140 grams of protein a day. But he was having 130 grams of that protein in his evening meal. <laughs> he was having like 400 <laughs> grams of, of, like 500 grams of, of uh, mints or something like that in the evening. Literally a full pack of huge <laughs> mints. And I hope I hope he's listening to this podcast. He you know who he is straight away. But um, uh, dividing your protein throughout the day is, is quite important for your recovery as well. And this is something I could talk a lot about. But basically. Um, you have a maximal stimulation of muscle protein synthesis. And if you eat over that, it's not going to give you any more benefit to your, your muscle gain or your recovery or anything like that. So that falls somewhere in between 0.3 to 0.5 grams per kilogram of body weight. Um, that's, that's where that kind of range lies. Um, and ideally, you would have that split, let's say, across four meals, four or five meals in a day where you'd be hitting that protein target. Um, then if we're talking about carbohydrates, um, habitually for endurance athletes, they want to be getting a good amount of carbohydrates to fuel their training. We know that uh, glycogen stores are very important in uh, your endurance athletes. So having six to eight grams per kilogram of um, carbohydrates per day would be something to chase after. And Doing that is more of a challenge than you think. You know, like you, you don't you don't just go out and eat eight grams per kilogram of carbohydrates by chance. You know, like that it's something that you have to plan and you have to say uh, make an effort to do so. Um, and what I would say on that as well would be to have it in around have a, a substantial amount towards your training session. So between one to four grams per kilogram. Uh, within one to three hours of your training session or one to four hours, depending on how they well they digest their food. And then another very important one uh, is your fats. We Fats are very uh, are key in the production of your sex steroid hormones, such as testosterone. And if you go very low on your fats, you can run into some trouble with overtraining. And, and that's a, a serious consideration and something that can do a lot of damage. So I would... Uh, well, scientifically, you recommend between 20 to 35% of the calories of the diet would be dedicated to fats. Um, also, within fats, you have your, your fat-soluble your fat soluble, uh, micronutrients, so you need a bit of fat to digest them, would be a, a vitamin A, D, and K. Um, they, are, they are quite important for keeping the athlete healthy as well. Um, then on the nutrition um even further so would be your your micronutrients um 
eating a good balanced diet should look after a lot of the micronutrients so what a good balanced diet might look like is your your whole foods the likes of your your fruits your vegetables your nuts your seeds um also meat extremely important a lot of your b vitamins and and things like that iron 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 is another very important one for endurance athletes um getting your bloods checked as an endurance athlete for iron levels um could be a huge part in your performance as well i could talk about that for ages but that that's a great one to keep in mind and then finally you'd move on to supplements so everyone always wants to hear about the supplements and for um for endurance performance there is quite a few of them that can have a positive impact with the supplements you're not just trying to impact um race day this can be something that gets a bit mixed up and it's something that's kind of i've only thought really on in the last while you're trying to also really impact your training that's nearly where you'll make the most benefit if you can get the most out of your training um then you can perform better on the day yes there is some supplements that'll help you perform on the day such as maybe caffeine and things like that but to support your day-to-day um I would recommend vitamin D. We know in Ireland um, we don't get enough vitamin D for sure. Uh, lack of sunshine, and it's very difficult to get it from our diet as well. So you would need, I think it's 146 eggs or something like that to, to hit your um, vitamin D intake. So we know that vitamin D is, is best got from the, the sun, but a supplement of 2,500 to 4,000 IUs um, would be recommended for your endurance athlete, for your general day-to-day population. A thousand I use would probably be fine. Um, then your fish oils is another one. If you have someone who doesn't eat a lot of fish, this is just another one for general health. A lot of good things with fish oils between three hundred to eighteen hundred milligrams. Um, and then some here's some ones that you might use at different times of the year. You might not use them all the time. So uh, caffeine is one that I touched on. So two to six milligrams per kilogram about an hour before your session um, can can really uh, boost the quality of that session depending on the person then you'd have ones like beta alanine um, beta alanine is an intracellular buffer so um, we know with the lactate um, accumulation in the muscle uh, that can disrupt uh, can, can stop us from being able to perform at our best so beta alanine is one that definitely can be used uh, it's an intracellular buffer, uh, and then you have uh, sodium bicarbonate, which is an extracellular buffer. So, fair warning though with sodium bicarbonate, make sure you test it out in your training sessions, and don't just use it on race day because there can be some gastrointestinal issues. Um, so, they they are two supplements that we might uh, use at different times of the year, um, to impact different uh, training times. Um, and then other than that, you'd have maybe your, your whey protein. That's I don't even know if I count that as a supplement, but you'd have that just maybe to, to facilitate some of your recovery and for ease. They'd be some of the ones I'd say on nutrition anyway. I could probably talk in, in more detail about each of them and that if you'd like me to, or um, we can move on to the next thing because I think I've talked for quite a while there. <laughs> I mean, I think I think whenever whenever a nutrition is mentioned, it could always always be a podcast yeah. on its own. Um, what I would say is what we what we will do is I really want to get you back on. And I, the next question was obviously going to be down to monitoring, right? Um, but I think it, you know, I think it might be a better idea to have you back on it and give you more time to reset out your actual. Because obviously we've talked about the high low approach and stuff like that. Um, 
but maybe get you on, set out your strength training, go through your monitoring protocols and a whole different podcast. So I feel like there's a lot of information you can go into. And if I ask you that now, you might end up just kind of rushing yeah. through it, you know? Um, so what we'll do is we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up for today, mate. Um, and maybe I'll have you on again in a couple of weeks and we'll go through strength training and we'll go through the monitoring strategy that you use. And then uh, whenever Ross is, uh, ends up going to the, the championships, we'll, we'll figure out, <laughs> whenever that might be, we'll figure out, maybe talk about the tapering and peaking and stuff like that, tapering and peaking, sorry, and stuff like that that you are going to do with him then. So just to kind of to finish up, do you have any touch, points you want to touch on? Um, let me see, points that I want to touch on. Uh, hopefully for anyone for anyone listening, I, I might not have went into enough detail on certain things, so apologies for that. I kind of feel like I, I glazed over a few things a bit too quickly, but maybe we'll get on to them again. Um, but yeah, things I touch on, if you are, uh, if you're a coach, as I said, don't take anything for granted. Don't think that your athlete knows uh, that this is good protocol or that's good protocol. Really make sure you educate your athletes. Don't miss out on them opportunities. Because, you know, eating your, let's say, your five-a-day or your seven-a-day vegetables kind of can kind of run off people's back. They think nothing of it. But in reality, that is very important for maintaining general health. If you if you have a have a let's say a poor diet as an athlete, you could run into getting sick or easier. So don't don't look over them sort of things. Also, um, uh, know your majors and know your minors. So make sure you're you're hitting the the things that are majorly going to impact your training. Right. So the things that are going to majorly impact training. Obviously, you have your your training. You have your sleep. And then you have your, your general nutrition. Um, there can be a lot of minutia and stuff like that that can come in here, like running at, at like a little bit different of a pace here or there. But if you're not looking after the majors, then you're going to be in trouble, okay? So that'll be, that'll be some things. As an athlete, um, be careful where you get your information from. That'll be one thing that springs to mind. Um, there's a lot of nonsense out there. So make sure the person you're getting your information from is evidence-based, they, they have some education in the area. Um, they, they, they quote research. They don't just kind of pull things off the top of their head. Um, and also, let me see, as an athlete, what else could I say to you? Get a coach. <laughs> That's because get a coach to help you decipher all this type of stuff because it's, it's not an easy thing. And uh, it takes years and years to get it right. You'll get it wrong 100 times before you get it right. And you're, I'm speaking from experience on that one. <laughs> It, um, it's been a common trend of every coach that comes on. They all go, yeah, if I could advise everyone, I'd yeah. get a coach. You know? <laughs> um, might be yeah, a biased yeah. opinion there, but yeah, it's 100%. We're actually going to have a, a girl come on who's a coach herself and talk about the importance of her having a coach. So, you know, um, every aspect, you know, and there's levels to everything. People are always going to know more than you about something, right? So if you can get any kind of additional help, then obviously why wouldn't you, right? Um Okay, so just before we finish up, mate, give you a, I'm gonna give you a chance to kind of plug. I know you're not like huge on Instagram or anything. Let's just plug your Instagram or anything yeah, you're up to right yeah. now. So yeah, the, social media was never really something I I done or anything like that. If if you're looking to to reach me, you can email me at cormac.walsh14 at gmail.com if you're looking to any questions or inquiries or anything like that. Um other than that, I will. I, I've been promising myself for this for the last couple of years. I will have some sort of an Instagram page soon. I have I have one that I haven't used. It's called Cormac Walsh Coaching. Uh, as you know, we had to use that for a project in uh, in uh, university. So 
Um, give that a follow. I probably will put stuff up on that in the next while. Um, other than that, yeah, send me an email or you'll get in contact with me at some other way. <laughs> so that's, uh, you'll, you'll find me somewhere. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's that's probably all. Yeah. That's the plug I'd have for myself. <laughs> perfect, mate. Perfect. Um, okay, so I'll definitely have you back on in a couple of weeks, and we'll talk about you know maybe going to the strength training and the monitoring stuff you do within. Maybe we we do not. We'll do. We'll just take Ross as an athlete, and we'll go through that to give it mm. a real you know um, idea of what you are mm. actually doing with your athlete. Um, thank you so much for coming on today, mate. Um, and I'll, I'll be yeah. in touch again. Cool. Thanks, Danny. Okay, thank you for listening today. Compi did a really good job there breaking down all aspects of endurance training, kind of what, what factors influence them and you know how he breaks up his training. We'll definitely have him back on at some point, maybe when he's when his endurance athlete is going to that competition, whatever that may be, and we can talk a little bit more about the preparation and leading up to that. So over next week we're gonna have Kiri Langford, we're gonna have Miss Taylor Rose, we're gonna have Logan Baker, and we are gonna have Connor Murray back on talking about weight cutting. And then Noel Fitzgibbon's gonna come back on and talk about a paper he wrote in critiquing the Canadian long-term athlete development model. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy.